So if you weren't with us last week, let me take a few moments just to bring you up to speed. Last week, we kicked off a special two-week miniseries called, called Silence, and this miniseries is to prepare us for our upcoming long study in the Gospel of Matthew. See, as we go, as we spend the next several months studying Matthew's Gospel, our hope And our goal through that study is to be able to see a clear and accurate and a biblical picture of who Jesus really is. And one of our primary tools to be able to do that is context. As we go through Matthew's gospel, we're going to be looking at how to understand how is this received by a first century world? How did they interpret? How did they experience these words that we're reading today? And one of the most important pieces of context we can have heading into Matthew is understanding Understanding the world that we're stepping into. As we talked about in length last week, as we, Matthew, the, the, the world at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is drastically different from the world at the close of the Old Testament. And so if you were with us last week, we looked at those 400 years. There is our, there's a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And many people call that gap the silent years. They call them the silent years because the Lord did not raise up a new prophet prophet, a spokesperson, or did not add to his written word. But it's also called the silent years because of the people of God that was living through it. Those of you that are here, you remember those, was a, those were tumultuous times, weren't them? Filled with a lot of trial and a lot of heartache. And for many of the people living through it, they felt that they would go to the Lord, they would plead to him, send your deliverer, save us from this. And they felt that the response was silence. But last week, we saw the beautiful truth that in the silence, God is anything but quiet, that his active voice is always speaking to us through his holy scriptures. Now, if you missed last week, I want to highly encourage you, jump on our YouTube page, the Church of Rocky Peak on the YouTube search, and watch the message because it not only gives context for this morning, but it's going to give context for Matthew. But last week, we saw that the Lord provides through this silence an opportunity for the truth he's already revealed to dig deeper, to penetrate in a new way. And so ultimately, last week, we talked about the fact that sometimes we perceive Lord being silent because our view of what we expect in return is too narrow. Sometimes we perceive silence because we basically set the rules and we put God in a box and we say, unless you speak to me in this way or say these exact words or give me this, then I don't hear you. And so what we had to do is we had to learn a new way to listen. We had to learn a new way to view the Holy Scriptures, to see them as God's active word for us, a God's active word for us every step of the way. Now, with that, what we see is that the Lord speaks in our perceived silence. And there's another example the Lord gives us in Scripture about silence as a powerful opportunity and tool in our lives. See, what we see is that in these moments of holy silence, I'm not talking simply about just turning off the TV and just having no noise. But a moment of holy silence is seeking the presence of the Lord regularly, sitting before him and letting him speak rather than us, that there is opportunity for maturity and growth 
through this. And so as we continue our series, we want to begin to have a new view of the power of holy silence in our lives. But to do that, much like we did last week with how we view the scriptures, we need to change the way we think. Because I'm willing to bet that many of you are like me. And naturally, we don't have a high view of silence. It's not something we tend to desire in long periods of time. It's not something we know how to seek, and it's not something that makes us comfortable. Let me illustrate this, illustrate it in this way. About seven years ago, my wife Megan and I, we moved to Simi Valley. Now, we both had been born and raised in the San Fernando Valley. We are still 818 till the day we die. We love the valley, but it was time for a change, so we moved into Simi Valley. And It was a long day of moving, and for those of you that have moved, moving is a horrible experience, isn't it? Moving is proof that there is evil in our world. And so it had been a long, long day. And at the end of this day, all I wanted to do was pass out in my bed. Now, in our bedroom, nothing was set up. We had piles of clothes and knickknacks everywhere and a mattress on the ground, but I didn't care. I was ready to sleep, turn off the lights, collapsed in bed, was ready for sweet sleep, but yet I couldn't. I kept tossing and I kept turning. I couldn't put my finger on it initially, but I knew something wasn't right and it wasn't letting me sleep. I could tell that my wife was, uh, well, couldn't sleep either. I finally go, Megan, are you awake? She's like, yeah, I, I can't sleep. And in my head, I'm like, this is going to d- sound dumb, but I'm going to go for it anyways. Megan, is it just too quiet for you? And her response to me is like, oh my gosh, yes, it is so quiet. See, we're from the valley. <laughs> Simi Valley is quiet. In fact, that should be the tagline of it. Simi Valley is unsettlingly quiet. <laughs> and I remember sitting up in our ma- on our mattress going, it's so quiet, I can't sleep. And it's interesting because for many of us, that's our view of quiet because the reality is we're addicted to noise. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, our lives are very noisy. There's great noise. There's good noise. There's hard noise. There's distracting noise. There's noise all across the spectrum, but we're addicted to it. Everything we do produces noise. If you go to school or have a job or both, that's noisy in your life, isn't it? If you engage in relationships of any kind, if you have friendships, that adds to the noise. If you're in a dating or a romantic relationship, that adds to the noise. If you're married, that adds to the noise. If you are a son or daughter dealing with your parents, that's noisy. If you have kids, parents, have you ever stopped and wondered how such a little person could be so loud? It adds noise and we become used to it. That just becomes our standard operating procedure for life. In fact, for many of us, we may not realize it, but we become so uncomfortable with silence that we find ways to make sure there is always some type of noise going on. For example, there's many people in this room that probably the only way you can fall asleep is by listening to Netflix or by putting on headphones to play something or by having a little sound maker that makes you feel like you're at the beach, which you're not. But as you go through that, I've heard many people say over the years, I just can't go to sleep unless I have noise. And that's who we are. And hear me clearly, noise is not always bad. Some of the most beautiful things in life bring noise. But what happens is we learn to live in this cocoon of noise, and that noise can make it difficult to hear the voice of God. What happens is we get so used to the rhythm of noise 
We never stop to take moments to rise above it to hear the voice of the Lord. See, last week as we looked at, as we looked at that intertestamental period and we asked that question, not just for the, on behalf of the people that lived it, but we asked that question on behalf of ourselves. See, many of us would say that there's been seasons in our lives. Many of us would say there's seasons we're currently going through that we would call our silent years, that we would say, God, I feel like I'm coming to you. God, I feel like I'm asking for something. God, I feel like I'm pleading for you to intervene, and I'm not hearing anything back. And for many of us, we can't hear the active voice of the Lord, whether he's speaking through prayer, through counsel, whether he's speaking through his scripture, we can't hear his voice because it's one of many things in the chaos that is noise. And so what we see in scripture is we see a beautiful example in the life of Jesus. All of the gospels highlight this, but I put one example in your note sheet from Luke, that Jesus made it a priority to seek holy moments of silence away from the noise in which he could hear clearly the voice of the Lord speaking to him. There in your notes, you take a look, look, look from Luke chapter 5. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Would you put a big box around the word often? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. See, in other messages, we've been up here and we've looked at this discipline of Jesus going to spend some quiet times before the Lord. We see in the Gospels, it's presented that Jesus does this before key decisions, before key times in his life, before key changes that are going to occur. And what we see is Jesus modeling this example for us that there are times in our life in which we need to get away from all the noise. We need to have a holy moment of silence. Again, it doesn't just mean we turn things off. It means we take a posture where we say, God, I am not speaking. I'm here just to listen. And we see that that deepens and encourages our relationship with the Lord. And through the example of Jesus, we see that his life, we see that his ministry flowed out of those times of seeking the Lord's voice in his life. And it's amazing that that expands and grows our view of how the Lord speaks to us, that the Lord speaks in the noise. I mean, there are many joyful times in our life when the Lord brings the noise, but we also see that the Lord speaks in silence. And not only is there power in those moments of holy silence for our everyday life, but there's power for how we encounter and how we deal with trials and hardships. There in your note, you had indicated uh, a section from 1 Kings 19. And if you're familiar with the prophet Elijah, the spokesperson for the Lord, he was at one of his lowest points, if not the lowest point in his life. His life was in danger. He was spent and worn out. And Scripture tells us a very honest view that he prayed literally to die. He asked the Lord to take his life because he just didn't think he could deal with it any longer. And an angel of the Lord tapped him and took him away to another mountain. And the voice of the Lord said, you will experience my presence. Another way of saying that, you will experience my power. And look what happens. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer 
silence. Some translations put it that the Lord was in a gentle whisper or a calm breeze. Either way, the point is made. See, if I was a betting man and you have asked me, the Lord is going to reveal himself, how of these ways is he going to do it? I would have put my money on the spectacle, on the power, on the earth moving, on the noise. I think for many of us, when we think of how God speaks, that's how we picture the show of power. And there are times when the Lord speaks this way. But what this passage does is it completely expands my view of the bigness of God. Because yes, he can speak powerfully in shaking the earth. Yes, he can speak powerfully in his mastery over nature. But at the same time, he can speak, he can speak amazing power through holy moments of silence. We can wrap ourselves in that truth that in the noise and in the silence at all times, the Lord is actively speaking to his people. That's powerful, isn't it? And so what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit more time to unpack this truth. There as you open up your note sheet, you've got a section titled Seizing the Opportunity. And your fill-in is this. In silence, God's voice penetrates our lives. In silence, God's voice penetrates our lives. Again, we talked about this in length last week, that the Lord wasn't silent to his people, so why did they perceive him to be? And we see that these moments of silence are an opportunity for us to take the truth that God has revealed to us already, particularly through his scriptures, and allow it to cut into our lives in a deeper way. Or again, to penetrate us to our deepest part, to our souls in a new and, a brand, in a new and bold way. Silence was not something that was natural to me. That is not something I grew up with. I am a noise addict. I am a speed thing freak. I like things loud and I like them fast. And I remember several years ago, I was given a book called The Invitation to Solitude and Silence. And it talked about this principle. It talked about the importance of this and it revolutionized my life. And there in your note sheet, I put, in it, I put a quote from it. She writes that, the invitation to solitude and silence is just that. It is an invitation to enter more deeply into the intimacy of relationship with the one who waits just outside the noise and busyness of our lives. It is an invitation to communicate and communion with the one who is always present, even when our awareness has been dulled by distraction. It is an invitation to the adventure of spiritual transformation in the deepest places of our beings, an adventure that will result in greater freedom and authenticity and surrender to God than we have yet experienced. Isn't that great? And if you think about that, those opportunities that she lists out, an opportunity for greater communion, greater relationship with the Lord, an opportunity for greater, more powerful spiritual transformation, an opportunity to be more of a per, of the per, of person of God, to see God in ways that I possibly can't imagine. Do you see that there's power in that? And where we experience that power is through these holy moments of silence. What we see through that quote is the truth that these moments 
moments of holy silence as we go before the Lord in his presence and we stop speaking so that we can clearly hear him speak. These are moments that we need in our lives. We absolutely need these moments because these moments allow us to dig deeper, to see clear who God is and who we are as a result of that. Let me give you a few examples. It's in these moments of holy silence where the Lord, through his gentle voice, reaffirms your identity. It's in those moments where the Lord will tell you that you are his beloved son or his beloved daughter. It's in those moments where the Lord will remind you that he died and rose again so that nothing would ever separate you from him anymore, but that you are his for eternity. It's in those moments that the Lord gently will remind you, you have been washed, you are clean in his sight. We may be imperfect, but you now have clear justification. The Lord loves you and you have been restored to be with him forever and ever. Another example, it's in these moments that the Lord will remind us of the truth of who he is, of his holy character. It's in these moments that the Lord will remind us that he is our perfect father who loves his children. It's in those moments that the Lord will remind us that he is our strong tower, our fortress in times of trouble. It's in those moments that he will remind us that he is our source of grace. And not only that, he reminds us of who he is because it's in those moments that he will also gently remind us that that is who we have the opportunity to be, to be reflections of him. And so it's in those moments in which the Lord will raise sin up to our lives, not because he's trying to bury your head in the mud, but because he doesn't want anything to be a barrier between you and becoming a reflection of Jesus. And so he'll lead us to to correction. He'll lead us to beautiful repentance. He'll do that in the powerful moments of silence. A third example is it's in those moments of holy silence in which the Lord reminds you that you've been called to something bigger in this life. It's in those moments of silence, as Michael said a lot in the last, in the last uh, series, that you will see that God has an epic vision for you, more than simply being saved, but to change the world in a literal sense, to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers in your everyday life. It's in those moments that the Lord will remind you that he's talking to you, that he's not talking to anybody else, somebody that might be, quote, better equipped or something like that. He's saying, no, I love you. I'm proud of you. I have equipped you with my spirit. I'm sending you. It's in those moments we're reaffirmed of our purpose. Do you see through those examples of the power that can happen in these holy moments with the Lord? We need these moments. And so we need these moments not just once, We need these moments not just every once in a while, but we need these moments as Jesus modeled to be regular part of our lives. And so now what I want to do is I want to start talking practically. How do we begin developing irregular rhythm, as I've called it? We're going to start by looking big picture, and then we're going to get really practical with steps. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Developing a Regular Rhythm. And the first thing there is a quote again from that book, and I love this quote. The most important thing about solitude and silence is at some point to stop talking about it and reading about it and thinking about it and just do it, as the Nike commercial admonishes. Would you put a box around the phrase, just do it? 
And you know why I love that quote? Because it kicks my butt. Because I need that quote as a reminder in my life. Because I don't know about you, but I am really good at talking a big game. I am really good at talking about all these great and wonderful things I'm going to do. If you know people like that, if you are people like that, we're in the same boat. Have grace for us. But we talk a big game, don't we? We're always telling people how we're going to get healthy, for example. We're going to do it. This is going to be the season in which I'm going to eat better. I'm going to work out. We're always talking about how this is when I'm going to get organized. I'm going to do it. I'm actually going to go into the garage and I'm going to clean it. I'm going to unpack these moving boxes from seven years ago. We're going to do this. This is the season in which I'm going to change the way I parent. I'm going to be more intentional in this one. I'm going to teach my kids to code or paint or do this. This is the season in which I'm going to learn an instrument or I'm going to learn a sport, or I'm going to gain a hobby. We do this spiritually. We go, man, this is the season. I'm going to get things right with God. Have you ever said that? I'm going to get things right. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to spend time in scripture. I'm going to join a life group or actually wake up in my life group. I'm going to do things. And hear me clearly. Words are powerful. Words are awesome. Words can be said with the best impression and intentions, but until we put actions behind them, they're just words. At some point, we need to stop talking, and we need to joyfully get to work. And when it comes to spiritually, when it comes to growing in our spiritual walk, we've done enough talking. Let's put some action behind it. And so there's two big picture principles I want you to keep in mind as we look to develop a rhythm of seeking the Lord in silence. The first one is this. Silence requires a plan. See, when we make important choices in our life to better ourselves or our loved ones, when we reorient ourselves to better pursuits in our lives, it doesn't just happen, does it? We need a plan. We need a level of intentionality. Because if not, then what happens is we become tomorrow people. So let me give you an example of that. Let's, talk, let's say that you're somebody that wants to make some different health choices in your life. And so those of you in this room that have done that, that have done that well and successfully, you would probably be the first to say that it took a plan. It took you honestly looking at your life and reorienting and reexamining decisions that you make, actions you made, the way you spend your time. How it probably didn't happen was you saying, I'm going to get healthy and I'll figure it out. Because then what happens, like I said, is we become tomorrow people. Oh, ran out of time today. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, I, I can't get to it today. I'll, I'll figure it out tomorrow or the next day. And it always becomes that. Tomorrow, tomorrow, next week, next week. And that's true in any aspect of our lives, right? And so when it comes to wanting to grow in any area, but especially when it comes to wanting to grow spiritually, this doesn't, quote, just happen. We need to be intentional because Jesus seeking him, experiencing him through a variety of ways is not something we cram into our schedule, but it's what we reorient our schedule around. He is now the priority. Everything else flows from that, and that's going to take intentionality. That's going to take a plan. And so when it comes to seeking the Lord through these holy moments, the first thing we need is a plan. The second step that we need is patience. And here's what I mean by this. 
If you were with us in the previous series, we, it was Renew. We talked about how do you have great God-honoring relationships of all kinds? How do you have great friendships? How do you have great marriages? How do you have great relationships with your kids? How do you have great relationships with your professors or your bosses or your coworkers? And if you notice something... <clears throat> That series was built on a very important truth that because of our damage due to sin, when it comes to having great relationships, we are naturally bad at it. When it comes to relationships, do you know what we are natural at? Destroying them. We are natural at being selfish. We are natural at saying horrible things with our words. We are natural at only wanting to get our way. Again, we are natural at destroying relationships. If we want to actually be good and be part and invest in healthy relationships, it's a learned skill. It's not something that comes naturally. It's something that we have to learn. But with that, there is a temptation. I've mentioned often from up here that I'm a recovering narcissist. And one thing that my pride, I need to keep it in check, and one thing that my pride continues to tempt me, if I'm trying to learn to do something new, if I'm trying to, let's say, in a relationship, if I'm trying to have a healthier friendship, my pride wants it, if I'm not naturally good at it, quit. And that's true for so many of us in so many areas, right? And that's true in our relationship with God, isn't it? See, think about the story of your life. For those of you that have given your life to Jesus, before you did that, the BC of your life, you didn't care about having a relationship with God. You didn't seek it. You didn't produce it. But after you realized that Jesus is real, after you said in a beautiful act of submission, I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to live my life for you. What Jesus did is he took you from death to life, from darkness to light. He has restored you. He has made you new. Now we can have a relationship with him. But the thing is, we have to learn how to do that because it doesn't come naturally to us. And for many of us, we have given into the temptation and we've quit. Last week, I focused very much on Scripture because that is the active voice of the Lord in our lives. We want to reclaim a high view of Scripture. And for many of us, this temptation plays out with Scripture that we may say the right things. Hey, I'm going I'm to get in the Bible. I'm going to dig into it. And we open it up and it's tough or it's difficult or we hit roadblocks. And what we end up doing is we quit rather than pushing through. And when it comes to seeking the Lord through these holy moments of silence, it's going to be difficult at first. It's not going to be natural. We might be distracted. Our head might be spinning. We might feel very unnerved being in silence, so we're looking around for anything to kind of be a focal point. And there's a false expectation in our spiritual growth sometimes that we see, okay, Here's where I'm at. Here's my starting point. Here's where I want to be, which is 20 to 30 steps here. I want to figure out a way to go from step one to step 30 in one jump. And the reality is we need to be patient and we need to take each and every individual step. Because each step is progress. Each step is learning. You know what happens when we take each and every individual step? It starts developing a rhythm in our lives. Hey, if growing in your relationships, particularly in the one the Lord doesn't feel natural at first, stick with it because it will. And before you know it, it's going to start to become like second nature and you will start developing a rhythm because you chose to stick with it. So therefore, have patience when it comes to do this. So let's dig in a little more practically than that. There in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Planning for Silence. 
Now, there's some of you in this room, we talked about this last week, that when it comes to your times of the Lord, whether your times of silence, times of, we, call it, we can call it quiet times, whether it's times of prayer, times of the word, that you have found a rhythm, you have found a situation that works really well for your wiring, you're having a rich time with the Lord, that's awesome. If that's you, God bless you and keep doing, your, keep doing it your way. But for those of you that need a starting point, that need help in developing, how do I start developing this rhythm? That's what these next practical steps are for. So the first one you're filling is this, choose a sacred time and place. Choose a sacred time and place. Now these steps are adapted from that book. And I like that she uses the word sacred. But before I get to that, let me explain just the basics of it. So the beginning of spending time with the Lord in any capacity is by answering two key questions. When are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? What time of day? What's your location? Where is this going to happen? But what I love about the word sacred, and would you put a big box around the word sacred, is that the word sacred highlights that this is not just is this important, but this is a non-negotiable. So let me give you an example. If you are somebody that to help you to help you spend some time with the Lord, you put it in your everyday calendar, which is an awesome tool to be able to use. Then what it means that is sacred is that nothing bumps that. That is a non-negotiable. This bumps other things. That is not going to change. This is my time. This is my place. I will spend time with the Lord. Now, when you think about your time and place, what I love about being able to commune with the Lord is that it can happen virtually anywhere, and it can happen virtually anytime. So what I want to do is I want to give you some examples of people's sacred time and place. And these aren't my examples. These come from you. These are examples of different people at Rocky Peak that have shared with me where their sacred time and place is. So the first one is a friend of mine who's a mom with multiple kids like me. She shared with me that her sacred time is she gets up early in the morning before the chaos happens and her kids wakes up. And her sacred place is her kitchen table with her cup of coffee. And she talks about how just sitting there in the silence, in the quiet, she hears the Lord speaking, how that's become a rich part of her daily habit, and she doesn't want to start her day without it. Had another friend that after dropping off his kids at school, he would get to work about an hour before work actually began. And he talked about what he started to do was he would close his office door, he would sit in his office chair and pull out his scripture and just spend some time with the Lord in silence before everything kicked in. uh, One of my life group leaders, he shared he moved about a year or two ago, and that put him farther away from his work, so his commute became longer. And it was one of the first times in my life I had ever actually seen somebody excited that their commute was longer. Because he was excited that there's nothing I can do about the fact that my commute is longer, so I might as well use this to be a powerful time to grow me, right? And so his sacred time in a sacred place became his car driving to work. He would use one of the free Bible apps and it would speak the word to him, or he would listen to sermons from various churches, or he would just stop and pray and think about what the Lord is doing on his life. Another one that my friends mentioned was one of mine. See, I have three kids, and so an escape for me is walking the dog. And I would walk the dog in the morning before going into work. And it's amazing that a simple act like that became a holy moment, that it's quiet. I'm not talking to anybody. We're just going, but I would just be with the Lord and just simply say, Father, is there anything you want to reveal to me? Is there anything you want to say? 
There's another example of a friend of mine that says that's how they close their day. See, before they turn off the light in their nightstand, TV's off, the phone is off, and they just take a few moments and go, Father, before this day ends, is there anything about my day? Is there anything about the next day that you want to reveal, that you want to speak, that you want to say to me? There are some friends I know that do it during breaks or their lunch break at work. There's some friends I know that do it at the gym. See, we could go on and on and on, but do you see that your secret time and your sacred place can virtually be anywhere. It's just looking at your life and picking one and making it sacred. And what I love about this too is that if you pick a sacred time and place and it doesn't work for you, you're not bound to it. You can pick another and another and another and another. So that's the first step. The second step is to set small goals to begin. As we're starting off, set small goals to begin. And hear me very clearly on this. Small does not mean insignificant. There's that very famous phrase that every great journey starts with a few steps, right? And so we talked about going from step one to step 30. Every step of the way is amazingly significant, no matter how, quote, small it may seem. Every step of the way, our Father, our God is cheering us on. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, I have three kids, my youngest of which, he just turned one this last week, and he's in that stage where he's going to be walking pretty soon. Now, I've gone through this with the other two kids, and if you've been around young kids or had your own young kids, it's pretty exciting when they learn to walk, right? It's kind of nerve-wracking as well, because now you actually have to pay attention to what they're doing, but it's pretty exciting when they learn how to walk. Now, what usually happens is when they first take their first step, are they taking this giant Olympic-style step? No, they're moving maybe that much. Literally, it's a baby step. It's a nothing of a step, but it's progress. And what happens when they do that as their family and their friends? We go nuts for them, right? We start cheering for them. We buy cakes. We see that and go, our kid is a genius. Look at him. Look at what he's doing. And that's true. We should do that, right? Imagine if I had the reverse posture. Imagine if my son Isaiah tomorrow decided to take his first step and rather than cheering him, my posture was this. Is that it? Really? That's all you got? That's really disappointing. In this family, we go big or we don't do it at all. It's horrible, right? I'd be a horrible dad in this situation. And we got to remember that God is our father and he is celebrating each step we take. And so the reason I say start with small steps is there is something very motivating about victory. There is something very motivating about accomplishing something that gives us encouragement and almost a passion and an energy to continue. See, what can happen is sometimes when we hear, hey, let's spend some time with the Lord, we become intimidated and we wonder, do we need to have these massive steps? Do we need to start off by doing, blocking three hours out to just intensely pray or try to read the Bible cover to cover? And for some people at some times in their life, that is their calling, no joke. But as we start, maybe it's not an hour, maybe your starting point is five minutes. And as you hear that, I hope that's an encouragement that you can sit there and go, wait, I can do five minutes. Yeah, you can. And you know what happens is we set small goals, and it goes back to what I've been saying is 
we start building a rhythm. We start learning how to do this. And before you know it, your time by your choosing is going to start extending. And now you're going to want to do seven minutes and 10 minutes and 15 minutes. And now you're going to want to do it at the beginning of your day, in the middle of your day, at the end of your day, throughout your day. You're also going to notice that your time is becoming richer and deeper and the voice of the Lord is becoming clearer. And all of that happens because you decided to take a single step today. And that's why that's so key to set small goals to begin with. The third key, or the third step, I should say, is bring Scripture. This is the active voice of the Lord in our lives. This is how we reclaim Scripture in those quiet moments when we say, Father, speak, for I am listening. Often we will open up the Word and we will hear the Lord speaking to us individually through Scripture. And so there's different methods you can use to bring Scripture. The most common is an actual physical Bible. For some of you, this might be a great opportunity to buy what we call a study Bible. They're very cheap on Amazon. And so what it is, it's a little bit of a bigger Bible. They haven't added any words to the actual verses of Scripture, but they've added context. So before each book, what you get is you get a rundown of who wrote it, when they wrote it, what was going on in the world at the time. And while you're reading through Scripture, there's little notes at the bottom that help us understand. It'll define certain words that might be confusing. It'll give us a little insights into the culture, what's going on. So study Bibles are great, but depending on your wiring or even depending on your location, having a physical Bible may not be the best route. So maybe you need a Bible you can listen to. So for example, I've talked about this often, the YouVersion Bible app reads the Bible to you. And so for several years, for, for actually for a couple years ago, for several months of my life, my sacred place was my commute, and I was listening to Scripture, and that's something I had never done before. I've spent years reading Scripture. I had never heard Scripture, and it was so deep and rich and new for me from a free app. You can buy Bible study or study Bible apps that will read to you. So what's your preferred method? But either way, whether it's digitally, whether it's physically, bring Scripture with you. Come to the posture that the Lord is going to speak through His Scripture. Be ready to be led in His Scripture. Be ready to listen, to read, and to follow His words. And the final step I want to give you is say a simple prayer. Here I am. We start by saying a simple prayer, here I am. And this is what separates these moments of holy silence from any other way we communicate with the Lord, is this is, this is stating that we're beginning with a posture of submission. What I'm saying in these moments is, Father, I talk a lot, and that's good, and you allow that, but in this moment, I'm going to shut up, and I'm here to listen to your word and your word only. And so here I am. I'm present and I'm listening. Speak. You're affirming that the Lord is in charge, that this is his time. And hear me clearly, speaking to the Lord is an amazing gift and it's good. Being able to go to the Lord and vent and talk about everything, that's good and needs to be part of our regular process. But sometimes we dominate that time. And we talk and we talk and we talk and we can say things like, God, you're such a great listener. 
but we forget that the Lord has something he wants to say to us as well. And he'll speak, again, through his form, form, many form ways, prayer, worship, his word, silence, a feeling. But it's by going into that posture of saying, Father, here I am, and I'm listening. And so with that, what I want to do is I want to give us as a church an opportunity to be able to hear that. And so what I mean by that is right now in my own personal time with the Lord, I'm going through the Psalms. I have this wonderful devotional by Tim Keller taking me through a Psalm a day. And I love the Psalms in Scripture. If you've ever spent time in the Psalms in the Old Testament, we have over a hundred of these. And by and large, what these were, these were the songbook of the nation of Israel. Just as we sang songs earlier today, these are the songs they would sing when they gathered together. And not just is there beauty in the art and the composition of these songs, but there's a beautiful honesty in these Psalms. These Psalms talk about the real life experience of what it's like to follow after God. It talks about the highs. It talks about the lows. It talks about the praising. It talks about the fear and the worry. And so they're amazingly relatable. And in my times in studying the Psalms, I've come across a unique word in it. There's a word that appears over 70 times in many of the Psalms, and that word is called Selah. Now, what's really unique about the word Selah is that many scholars are really unclear as to what this means. We can't definitively say that's what this word means. Here's the definition and here's the purpose. But there's some likelihood in the, way, in the way it's placed. See, in the Psalms that we find it, it tends to indicate a musical break. Again, these were songs. And so it seems to many scholars that it, that it seems to indicate band, singers, stop, take a pause. And for some people, they continue to go forward then going, they're probably asking everybody to take a break so that the audience can stop and reflect on what they just sang they can stop and reflect on the truth that was just given. And that's such a beautiful sentiment, isn't isn't it? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. And then as we come out of prayer, I'm going to ask you to still take a posture of silence, meaning when we close the prayer, would you keep your eyes closed? Would you keep your heads bowed? My friend Arlene is going to come out, and what she's going to do is she's going to orally read a psalm over us. She's going to read scripture over us. And this is one of those psalms that has these Selah potential breaks. And she's going to give us those breaks. She's going to say Selah and she's going to give us time to be in silence. And as you're in silence, listen to the voice of the Lord through his scripture for your life. Reflect on these questions we talked about last week. How is my life different because this word of the Lord is true? How does that change how I see myself? How does that change how I see others? How does that change how I think and act? However the Lord wants to speak to you, let this be a holy moment of silence and encounter through his holy scriptures. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak in the noise and you speak in the silence. Father, we thank you that through you we have an opportunity to rise above the noise even for a few moments and to hear you in a deeper and clearer way. Father, as we go into this reading of your scripture, we don't need to pray speak because you already are. Instead, we pray, Father, give us the ears to hear you in a new way, in a deeper way. Father, as we pause and reflect on these words of Scripture, again, you are speaking to us individually. Teach us, show us more of how our life is impacted by the truth of these words. Show us where we can take action. Show us how we can be filled with joy and passion because of your word found in Scripture. Father, we are listening. We are here. 
Thank you for speaking. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms fall. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see what the Lord has done. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The Lord Almighty is with us. Father, what an amazing truth that we just heard right over us. The Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord Almighty is in the noise. The Lord Almighty is in the silence. The Lord Almighty is in the ups. The Lord Almighty is in the downs. The Lord Almighty is in my friendships, in my marriage, with my kids, in work, as I go about my errands. The Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord Almighty is with me. And that's a truth that I want to penetrate every part of my being. That's a truth that I want etched deep into my soul. That no matter where I go, no matter what I do, the Lord Almighty is with me and with us always. 
And so, Father, as we continue celebrating in this service, we thank you for these gifts of silence in which we can allow a truth like that to dig deeper into our lives. Father, as you spoke to us individually, we know that you will continue to speak and we are committed to continue to take a posture of listening, a posture of submission, a posture that says, here I am, because we want to hear your active voice. We want to rise above the noise and hear you, the voice of Jesus. In your son's name, all of God's people said, amen. You know, as we talk about, as we spent the last two weeks talking about the fact that the Lord speaks to us in all areas, in all situations, we wanted to stop in the service and celebrate why we can have one-on-one communion with the Lord. And so with that, we're going to take the act of communion. And what we're doing as we take communion is we celebrate the fact that Jesus died for our sins. He rose and he made us clean. And because of that, there is no longer any separation. Because of sin, we were separated from the presence of God. But because of the act of Jesus, we are separated no longer. So now, as we talk about our sacred place and time, it can be anywhere, it can be anytime because of Jesus' cross. And so as we are grateful and thankful for the opportunities we have to communicate with Jesus the Christ himself, we want to celebrate what made it possible, and that's this act of communion. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christ follower, meaning you have given your life to Jesus, at some point you have said, Father, you are real, I have sinned, come into my life, wash me clean, I want to live from you now. I want to live for you from now on. The Lord has taken you from death to life, and this act is for you. This is an act for family. As you take of the bread, you're going to remember the body that was broken for you. As you drink of the cup, you're going to remember the blood that was shed to cleanse us of our sins. As you take this act, let this be another holy encounter between you and the Lord. Maybe you want to pause and reflect. Maybe you want to stand around the room. Maybe you want to come to the front stage. Maybe you just want to go and sit at your seat for a little while. However the Lord leads you. Now, whether you're in here or you're in the ridge, there's tables all around. The table nearest to you may not actually be your best choice. But keep in mind, this is a holy encounter and a holy moment between you and the Lord. So let's stand and let's take of communion together. You know, I love the beauty in that song because it's such a reminder of what we've been talking about, isn't it? I love the declaration made in that song. See, men and women, we have an opportunity we can seize in this moment. We have an opportunity to expand the way we listen, to hear the voice of the Lord in a new, in a fresh, in a deeper way. And my prayer for you is as you leave this place, as you go about your afternoon, as you go about your week, your month, your year, and the years to come, that we leave as changed people, not because of me, not because of us, but because of what the Spirit of the Lord has done. I pray that we leave as changed people because we realize that we have a new way, a new opportunity to hear the voice of God in a loud way, in a powerful way, because that will change us. And as the Lord changes us, he will then use us to change our community. Our world is in desperate need of a revival, and it needs the people of God listening to his voice, standing on his word to show them that the God Almighty is here. And just as I went home, you can come home too. And so as you leave this place, Seize the opportunity you have. Seek the holy moments found in the presence of God. Deepen your relationship with him and grow. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you would like to talk or pray with somebody before you leave the service, 
over alongside this wall to my right in the worship center, over along the same wall to my right in the ridge, there's some men and women from our uh, prayer our prayer ministry. They would love to talk with you. They would love to pray with you before you leave. Next week, please, 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 you gotta be here next week because I'm so excited as what it, what it means in the life of our church. Michael's gonna be up here and he's gonna be kicking off our new series, Unfiltered, as we start this study through the Gospel of Matthew. And the reason why I'm excited is Matthew, the words in Matthew have been a source of significant growth in my life for many, many years. I'm excited for what this means for us. I'm excited for what this means for us as a church because we are never gonna be the same again after this study. So I hope you can invite someone. Hope to see you then. Have a great rest of your day.